Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. As is often the case when I gather with you all on Sunday mornings, I usually begin by making some kind of confession. Uh, I do this primarily for the sake of my own soul, (laughs) but also to remind you that just because I have obtained something called a master of divinity does not in fact mean I have mastered divinity, okay? So case in point, uh, there were a certain number of things that seminary just didn't bother to teach me. Sure, there were things I learned, like the dates of the destruction of the Jewish temple and the contested versus the uncontested letters of Paul and the Hebrew alphabet and the difference between the synoptic gospels and the other one. But what I didn't learn to do was what to do when a board meeting gets derailed because of a conversation around taxidermied owls in the church deep freeze. I also didn't learn what to do when a child refutes her own baptism at two years old and says, I don't wanna. They didn't teach me that. They didn't teach me what to do when the government declares that we can't gather in groups more than our own little bubble. Nobody taught me what to do in that circumstance. And perhaps the most surprising thing, seminary didn't teach me how to pray. I don't know if maybe it's assumed that when one discerns a call to ministry, they've perhaps already figured that part out. Fair assumption. Or the fair assumption that Christendom is the environment we were raised in. Or the assumption that the Lord's Prayer is enough instruction. That's a fair assumption, but the church has taught me otherwise. For whatever reason, prayer wasn't on the curriculum. And I need to be honest with you, when I graduated, I had doubts that I knew how. I remember the first Sunday I was working here at Hillhurst and I found out on the spot that John prays extemporaneously during the prayers of the people. That means he prays off the cuff and I almost fainted. (laughs) I almost fainted. (laughs) Does this resonate with anyone? Okay, a couple of you. I'll tell you the thing that brought me into prayerful confidence once I settled into it. It was music. And if you've ever wondered why Greg plays underneath my prayers when I'm doing the prayers of the community, that's why. It feels like I'm singing. (laughs) Growing up in a liturgical tradition, the Anglican church for me, prayers were always something that were crafted by a professional. They were written out like a beautiful poem in front of me, and all I had to do was read them. They were lovely, but they didn't live in me. I remember once sitting in a prayer writing workshop for my last congregation. We were trying to equip our lay leaders to lead our prayers of the community, and one woman said, oh, I don't think I could ever offer the prayers. I'm not a writer. And I remember thinking to myself, what happened? How did we accidentally teach people that there is only one right way to pray to God and it's not the one we know? How did that happen? So I did what any good student does and I bought a book called The Art of Public Prayer. (laughs) 
And in it, Dr. Lawrence Hoffman, the past president of the Multifaith North American Academy of Liturgy, writes an old joke from the Jewish faith. Two people, Schwartz and Cohen, are leaving the synagogue, and Cohen is then accosted by his teenage son who wonders why his father, an atheist, attends services regularly. His son says, why do you go to pray? Can you really say that you are going to talk to God? And his father responds, no, I do not go to talk to God, but Schwartz goes to talk to God, and I go to talk to Schwartz. Maybe I do not know how to pray, but someone in the building knows how to pray, and I go to pray with them. Does that resonate with any of you? Mm -hmm. Thankfully, uh, you don't all need to rush to Amazon for Dr. Hoffman's book. Our scripture does have all the tools we need. The wisdom books of our scripture extend far beyond the book of Proverbs that we're exploring. The Septuagint, the Greek text of our Hebrew Bible, they taught me that in seminary. It actually features seven different wisdom books. The Proverbs are one. But we also have the aptly titled Wisdom of Solomon. We have Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs. We have Job, we have Sirach, and we have the Psalms. The Psalms, from the Greek word samoi, meaning instrumental music and the words that accompany it. These are hymns we primarily attribute to King David, but that in reality were written by dozens of faithful people in and around the 5th-ish century, and they embody all of our human experience. And for thousands of years... Before Jesus gave us the words of the Lord's Prayer, people have used these songs to pray. This past Friday, I was visiting one of our online congregants in the hospital, and sitting there, holding sacred space together, I read the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when I reached the end of the psalm, I read out the words, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. And I paused to take a breath, and she continued forever. Amen, amen, amen. Our proverb is wise. Singing a song of joy to those with a broken heart might not be what's called for, but there is a song a psalm, a prayer for everything. Look at our secular repertoire. We had the song that Sarah pulled up. I'm, I'm going to quote from um, a cultural theologian, Daniel White Hodge. He wrote an amazing book called The Soul of Hip Hop, Rims, Tims, and a Cultural Theology. And he says, when listening to secular music, in this case hip-hop, engaging a culture and its elements can be a dirty job. At times, elements of culture can be crude, rude, malicious, debaucherous, ugly, mean, and straight-up nasty. Wisdom and discernment must be used at all times with any type of communication. However... If we are really to engage and commune with someone or something, then we must deal with the parts of culture that do not always look nice. So thank you in advance for your openness and willingness to be challenged. I looked at 
a list of songs in my own phone, lacking diversity, I will admit right off the top, but songs that share prayers for everything. Songs like Cats in the Cradle, a song about a parent and a child not being able to make time for one another and the sadness of this relationship dynamic. 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, if you don't know how to break up with someone. There are some of you here. <laughs> if you don't know how to break up with someone, here are 50 ways. There's a song for that. Rehab, a song about someone so deep in the throes of addiction, they refuse all help. Adam's song, a 17-year-old's journey with contemplating the act of suicide. Fancy. A mother encourages her daughter in order to become a prostitute to escape their life, and she makes a pretty good go of it. Love the way you lie. The turmoil of a domestically abusive relationship. Big leagues. A boy's dreams cut short by a deadly car crash. The crossroads. What are you doing in your life? to prepare for the moment of your death. We shall overcome. A song declaring the strength of those uniting against racial injustice during the civil rights movement. There are countless songs coming out of the fields of slavery. The African-American spiritual tradition, when the enslaved were only permitted to sing about Christian ethics and ideals, they sung hymns, sung psalms that not only gave them strength through their faith, but gave them direction. The songs offered comfort, but they also offered a way of communicating their longing for a how. How shall we overcome? Words rang out over the horror like these, there is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and I think my work's in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. There is a song for everything not just joy, not just the truck, the dog, the job, or the love. It's an ode to Calgary's country scene. There's a song for everything. And these songs are prayers. These songs can teach us how to offer our prayers. When the words feel sticky, when stillness feels heavy, when the posture feels stiff, when the practice feels inauthentic, remember you can sing. And if God cares whether or not you can carry a tune in a bucket, they didn't teach me that in seminary, so go forth. The Psalms teach us to shout and to cry and to yell and to praise and to mosh wildly, but maybe not as wildly as Woodstock 99, to shake fiercely. They teach us to holler out and call it prayer. Music holds immense wisdom. The way it can hold all of us and all that we are, the way it reaches deep into us and pulls out truth and courage and healing and faith where we had none before.
the way it brings us together. It is a language of the divine. Depending on who you ask, the Psalms are divided into anywhere from three to ten different kinds of hymns. I suspect it has to do with uh, how many minutes you have to preach a sermon. <laughs> While all of them are addressed to God, they take different shapes, just like the prayers of our hearts each take different shapes. We have Psalms of praise. Exaltations to God that are simply joy-filled. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. We have songs of personal lament, deep despair, in moments where it feels like God is utterly absent. Oh, Lord, my grief consumes both my night and my day. There are times I feel cut off, separated even from you. We have songs of communal lament, despair about the state of the world. You have rejected us and shamed us and have not gone out with our armies. There are us out there made like sheep for the slaughter. Then there are songs of thanksgiving. There are psalms of remembrance and teaching. There are psalms of wisdom sung versions of our spoken proverbs like, when you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. I like that one. There are psalms of pilgrimage. The songs sung together on the road to Jerusalem every year, I lift my eyes unto the hills. Where does my help come from? The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. I sat yesterday with a congregant, many of you know Donna, uh, in her new room at the Agape Hospice, and I asked about her favorite hymns. And she said, oh, there, there are too many. But there's a theme, journeying together. Our psalms of pilgrimage. The prayer of your heart is in there. It's in here, whoever you are, wherever you are at, there is a psalm for that. There's a song for that. I know that prayer can seem like a daunting thing for some of us. The right words, the right hands, the right candle, the right pieces of the ritual, and all of those things are important if they are important to you. I know some of you who pray the rosary. Bead by bead you come to the saints, like Russell. I know some of you who pray through meditation. Breath by breath you draw yourself into the quiet center, like William. I know some of you who pray through nature. Step by step you draw yourself into the presence of the divine all around you. The presence of God on the journey like Donna. I know some of you who pray through art. Doodle by doodle, you are guided towards God, like Barbara. There are as many different ways to pray as there are people in this world. But there is no one right way to arrive to God. The Psalms lead us through the, all that we are, being enough for God, being worthy of God.
God. And they do it through something so deeply ingrained in us, we often take it for granted. They do it through song. I mentioned earlier that on Wednesday afternoon, Anne and Danielle and I went down to Olympic Plaza for the celebration of the sober crew. And as we sat there, we listened to several speakers tell their stories of recovery. And after hearing from the sober crew's founder, a woman stood up to speak about her own experience. She took us through her years of struggle, through her journey of healing and said, when I got sober, I found creator and then I remembered how to sing. And she offered us a song, a blessing for the life she had reclaimed through her sobriety. And I'd like to share just a couple seconds of it with you. Even though we did not speak the language, she sang in, we knew we were being blessed. So too, when we pray in the language of our own hearts, whatever that might be, God hears it as prayer. The wisdom of the proverb is this, whatever the song in your heart, sing it. Whatever the song in your heart, sing it. And as the last note flutters out, don't forget to utter, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.